situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Trevor's Bob Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. Ask me about my winner. I was trying to think about the number of different ways I could go when it comes to the Kyrie Irving situation and him ending up with the Dallas Mavericks. But I don't want to hit up on things that are so repetitive. And one of the things that I enjoy the most about talking about sports is when I get into a topic and I wonder exactly where it is that I'm going to go with it. Because right now, I really don't know. I could state the obvious. I could state the fact that Kyrie Irving has made the, the NBA and his career and his life about him and has certainly not been a good teammate. I don't think he was a good teammate in Cleveland. Um, to ask for a trade, to ask to uh, leave the great LeBron James when he was winning championships, and obviously there was chemistry there. Uh, gets traded to Boston, which wasn't his fault. Was never a fit for him, for him either. Makes the decision that he's taken over Brooklyn with Kevin Durant. And, uh, one thing that I did learn, in the last couple of seconds that I'm not going to do is I'm not going to criticize the Brooklyn Nets. They could be knocked for making a bad decision. They could be knocked for having this crazy dream that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were going to take over New York and be the uh, greatest pairing in NBA history. We're going to be the next Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And you could say they were wrong for that, but that's as far as I'm going to go with it because you put Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on the court and ultimately, it is up to them. They shoot Kenny Atkinson out of there. They got rid of Steve Nash, who, by the way, it's his birthday today. Hall of Fame uh, point guard, one of the better uh, facilitators in the history of the sport. So I'm not knocking the Nets for their decision because it's not on the same level as Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. You, know, you took a chance on two older players with the thought that, hey, you're going from New Jersey to Brooklyn. You're trying to uh, make it about the Brooklyn Nets and their identity and their brand. And you chose two players that were great players. Maybe not all-time great players. Durant goes back in history as probably a, a better and more dominant player than Paul Pierce. But they were both, both very good in their own right. They both belong in the Hall of Fame. But they were both well past their prime. You're asking two players right in the middle of their career. Kevin Durant, who had won two NBA championships with the Golden State Warriors, and Kyrie, of course, who had won in Cleveland with LeBron, to team up and take over the NBA. And that was set up to do that. Kevin Durant, from his end, has done everything he possibly could. The only issue with Kevin Durant is he hasn't been able to stay on the court. He's getting hurt every year. It's part of getting older, but... You know, injuries are something that are, you know, are unfortunate. Kevin Durant can't go out there and do the things that he was expected to do because he's not on the court. Kyrie Irving, all the reasons that he hasn't been on the court, has brought the Nets and their franchise down. And this is 100% on Kyrie Irving. And not, to, not that he didn't have the right to ask for a trade. He was working on a negotiation for a contract extension. His antics, whether it's the anti-Semitism or the decision to not get vaccinated 
or you know just you know the the weirdness when it came to the uh, the the setting with COVID and his decision to go out there without mask when you know risk that he could get uh, he get sick, all these different things that Kyrie Irving did to make things about himself are, are all reasons why the Brooklyn Nets should not have and didn't give him the contract extension or that max extension that he was looking for. So he's got the right if he's not going to get that to request a trade, and the Nets did what they had to do by sending him to the Dallas Mavericks. Now there's Two ends of that. There's where the Nets end up. Do they end up trading Kevin Durant as well? And I don't think they have to. I mean, I think from a media standpoint, from a reporting standpoint, giving you something to talk about and bullshit about standpoint, uh, yeah, uh, where's Kevin Durant going to go? Is he going to be dealt before uh, this trading deadline? That's a talking point. But I expect to see him remain with the Nets. And the question is, the Nets, one of the things that I don't believe has been spoken about enough, the Nets in a good position in the Eastern Conference, fourth seed, obviously lose their best player that's on the court because Kevin Durant's out with an injury. You replace him with Spencer Dinwiddie, you replace him with Dorian Finney-Smith, maybe a little bit from Cam Thomas. He gets a little more of a chance to score and shoot. You know, He's had a couple 40-point games for them. The question is, the Nets, are they good enough to make any damage or convict or convince anybody that they're a serious team in the playoffs. But what I think it does create that I find fascinating, and this is assuming that Kevin Durant ends up staying, is the ability of Kevin Durant as a star player and to finally see it on display. You saw it with Russell Westbrook and James Harden years ago from when he was drafted and, of course, ended up playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder. You saw it on display when he was a secondary or tertiary player behind Steph Curry with Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. He was expected to team up with Kyrie Irving. And what I could see happening is this is actually a great opportunity for Kevin Durant, once he's healthy, to see how he could lead a team. He's got scores there. Cam Thomas is willing to shoot the ball and score 40 a game if he needs to. Spencer Dinwiddie, first of all, has played with, played in Brooklyn before. And he's been a, a prolific scorer in his career, starting with the Nets and, of course, with Washington and then Dallas. And you look at some of the other players there, and perhaps it's an opportunity for Kevin Durant as a singular basketball player, not an individual but as a singular leading basketball player to lead that franchise going forward. And I think this should be considered a good day in the history of the Brooklyn Nets franchise. Perhaps you look at the the book being closed of what didn't work out and Kyrie Irving and all that he has caused by almost single-handedly trying to bring an organization down just by himself. I think this is a dawn of a new era. And an opportunity if the Nets decide and Kevin Durant decides that he wants to go forward with the partnership like he declared at the beginning of the season. How about let's see what this Nets team can do with Kyrie. Because I think from a a mental standpoint, from a distraction standpoint, from an aggravation standpoint, the Nets are in a better position right now than they were even with Kyrie averaging 27 a game for them. 
Now the question is going to be with the Mavericks. How much better are the Mavericks? Jalen Brunson left as a free agent, and I thought that was a that was a big loss for Dallas. They were not able to replace him. Obviously, if you're looking at Kyrie Irving and his talent, he is a much better player than Jalen Brunson. I, th- I think very few people are going to deny that. But Luca is the alpha dog there. He is the guy that is going to facilitate and ask for the ball. Kyrie Irving is considered one of the best ball handlers and uh, one of the more central ball controllers in the history of the National Basketball Association. So you wonder how the two of them are going to exist. First of all, who's bringing the ball up? Who's facilitating the offense? Obviously, you know you have two big-time scorers that could go off at any time. To me, this makes Dallas a very top-heavy team, a team that you want to you want to make sure that you're not having a situation where the two star players are kind of getting in each other what other's way and counteracting the strengths and abilities that they have. Now you're gonna say, "Hey, that's up to Jason Kidd." Well, listen, Jason Kidd's gonna and mark my word here. We could point back to this moment on the show that I recorded on the 7th of February, 2023. Kyrie Irving will lead to Jason Kidd getting fired, especially if he signs an extension to remain in Dallas. So Jason Kidd, his career as the Dallas Mavericks head coach is going to come to an end. It could come to an end this year, even if Kyrie doesn't come back. The question you wonder from one of the greatest point guards in NBA history and really one of the best basketball acumens and minds in the history of the sport. No, the thing is nobody's going to figure out Kyrie Irving. Nobody is going to be able to manage Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving has made the decision a long time ago that he's going to do and say whatever the hell he wants, whenever the hell he wants to. And it's gotten in the path of what could have been a very good championship career for Kyrie Irving. He could have won multiple championships with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He could have been part of a winning core with the Boston Celtics. And he certainly could have teamed up with Kevin Durant, helped the Brooklyn Nets bring a championship to that city. He was the reason that James Harden asked for out. He was, he was really the reason that I'm sure Kevin Durant is questioning whether he made a good decision to team up with Kyrie Irving and go to Brooklyn. What you're going to see in Dallas, I don't know. Because you ask, I asked myself where Dallas was before this trade and where they are right now. And I thought, led by Luka, I thought they could make a run in the playoffs. They did last year where they really... Uh, uh, you know they made it to the conference finals against Golden State. I got I have a lot of belief in a Luka led team. The question is going to be Kyrie Irving, in spite of all his talents and abilities, is he going to get in a way of Dallas? And I think that's a fifty fifty shot. I think there's a fifty fifty chance that he helps them and they get a little better, and maybe they make a push to make it to the NBA Finals because I do think the West is wide open. Even though Denver's very good, even though Memphis is very good, even though there's a lot of teams in that conference that I think can make a little noise in the postseason, not to mention Golden State, who, you know, they, they deserve their honeymoon after winning the NBA championship. They'll probably get themselves ready for the postseason. Can Dallas take a shot here? Yes, they absolutely can. 
But the question is going to be, is Kyrie Irving going to help Dallas more or get in their way more? So today is the seventh day of February 2023, and I'm going to get into a little bit of this day in sports history. In 1882, John L. Sullivan was the last bare-knuckle boxing champion. He ended up beating, knocking out Patty Ryan, and it's significant as John L. Sullivan, probably one of the more, the less spoken about all-time fighters. Um, you know, I put him up there with Jack Dempsey. I put him up there with uh, Rocky Marciano. Uh, and it's hard, you know, we were talking about 1882 to 1940-something to, you know, Lennox Lewis in 1994 to anybody else you want to put up against. But John L. Sullivan was a beast. And obviously, you're talking about boxing being totally different then. You didn't even have gloves on. You're risking your life when you go in a ring. There's a certain percentage of fighters that went in there to fight that didn't come out of it alive. And some of them were basically disfigured for the rest of their lives. John L. Sullivan, one of the more dominant boxing champions in the history of the sport. 1949, Joe DiMaggio became the first MLB player to sign a contract, a one-year contract, for $100,000. And obviously, 1949, a big deal. You know, we're talking about uh, post-World War II. Uh, salaries throughout the country are starting to go up progressively, but not, not, not anywhere near as, as much as they would go through in the 60s, 70s, and of course the, the 90s, 2000s, and where they are today. But it was a significant moment. Joe DiMaggio, at that point, is probably making more than the President of the United States with, at 100000 a year. And to quote the great Babe Ruth, Joe DiMay said, I had a better year than he had. 2010, Super Bowl 44. The Saints beat the Indianapolis Colts 31-17. The one thing that stands out for me is the onside kick by Sean Payton to start the second half. Um, a close game, and I think the onside kick you know, totally kept the Colts off guard. Uh, Peyton Manning's first Super Bowl, uh, a big deal there as uh, Sean Payton wins his his first and only with Drew Brees. Super Bowl six years later, Denver, with Peyton Manning, ends up beating Carolina 24-10. to That's Cam Newton's MVP year. He was great. He was, probably, he was the best quarterback in the NFL that year. Uh, big moment. I think he, you know, listen, two weeks before the Super Bowl, you have a lot of chance to hear from people. So I don't know how prepared or ready Carolina was for that Denver defense. Um, I'm not sure they realized how good that Denver defense was, but it was on full display. Peyton Manning ends up going out with a Super Bowl victory, but a, a game that if it wasn't for the Denver defense, Carolina probably wins. Five years later, talking about another legend, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 31-9 over the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl, was it 50-55? Tom Brady on display again. His last Super Bowl victory, of course, announcing his retirement this this past uh, week or so. Looks like he's done. He's got a contract with Fox. It looks like he's convinced that he's moving on now. But um, obviously, stand, stands out. His last Super Bowl victory came with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, two years ago today. So some birthdays: former Dodgers right-hand pitcher Burt Hooten. 
He threw a no-hitter. He was the NLCS MVP in 1981 for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Benny Ayala, uh, former PBS guest, um, hit a home run in his first at-bat in the major leagues for the New York Mets. Had a pretty good career, most notably for the Baltimore Orioles in the late 70s. Dan Quisenberry his, uh, was born on this day in 1953. I've made my case. I believe this guy is a baseball Hall of Famer. You know my take. Get the uh, Immortals in first, Bonds and Clemens and Rose and Joe Jackson. Uh, the players who accomplished the, the best stats, Rafael Palmaro, Sammy Sosa. Get those guys in first, Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez. They belong in the Hall of Fame first. But once you square that away, Dan Quisenberry belongs in. He was as dominant as Bruce Suter in the 1980s. Bruce Suter was a great pitcher. I think very few people dispute Suter's uh, accomplishments and notoriety and um, deservedness to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But it's hard to look at the careers of Bruce Suter and Dan Quisenberry and say that they didn't mirror each other. And I don't really like saying, hey, one player is in the Hall of Fame, so the other should be in. But for a player to dominate the sport and really be the quintessential closer in an entire league, in the American League, it's hard to look at Dan Quisenberry and not recognize his dominance. And I believe there's a place. You know, you, you look at Trevor Hoffman and Mariano Rivera and eventually Billy Wagner. And you think of, of course, Raleigh Fingers and Suter and Goose Gossage. It's hard to look at Quisenberry and say that he doesn't belong in that group. Bucky Richardson, former Houston Oilers quarterback. I always laugh because, you know, the season that after Warren Moon was traded, it was an opportunity for Cody Carlson, who got hurt, and then number seven, Bucky Richardson. I remember him in 1993 trying to quarterback that Houston Oilers offense. He was born in 1969. Chris Gardaki, the punter for the Indianapolis Colts, was born on this day in 1970. And I think of Chris Gardaki, and all I think of is, you know, you don't want to walk down the street when Chris Gardaki is hanging out in the park with his friends. He's going to friggin' kick your ass. 1974, Steve Nash. We spoke about it before. His birthday today. 1978, happy birthday, Andy Chavez. He'll always be remembered for that incredible catch in Game 7 of the 2006 NLCS. Uh, Matthew Stafford, a uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback of, of the Los Angeles Rams, last year's Super Bowl winner. And a couple of people that passed away on this day. Uh, Major League Baseball legends, Napoleon Lajaway, died on this day in 1959. And another legend, one of the greatest offensive position players in the history of baseball, Frank Robinson, passed away on this day just four years ago. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPaley.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, you can check the show out, whether it's YouTube, on video, you could check out my podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, anywhere you get your podcast. Just look me up, John Pielli, last name P-I-E-L-L-I. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on it in my life. Now they come out as the biggest 
Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.